Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of the Eel Boys Podcast And tonight I am joined with uh, Mr. Long Range EO Sniper himself, Mr. Payton How's it going Payton? Good, how you doing? Good, good, you've been uh, shooting Long Ranger now not much recently, because up until the last couple of days, it was too dry to shoot steel. But So now that we're getting some pretty good rain, are you going to start going out and poking some steel long range? Oh, yeah. Got a couple guns I need to work up loads for. What guns are they? Uh, 28 Nosler, and uh planning on building a 7 Psalm here soon. So Okay. Have you always or, had the 28 Nosler, or did you just get it? Um, it's It was Dad's. And uh, gotcha. it's the, the dog is trying to help here, and he's not really being he's very just, helpful. He's just excited that there's more companies besides you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the 28, it was built probably like four years ago, and it's never really been, been dialed shot. in. No. Yeah. Okay. So I was planning on working up a load for it anyways to take it to Colorado oh. um, for that deer hunt. Yeah, yep. But I started working up a load for it in May, and then it just got too hot and dry. And you couldn't, couldn't yeah. do anything. It's all right, bud. Relax. Yeah. Chill out. Dog wants to be a part of the podcast. <laughs> but fun. yeah, those the twenty eights are so popular. I've never really shot them a whole lot. Um, well, I know Ben's got a twenty eight, and that thing shoots pretty damn good. And I've seen him shoot it. Long, yeah. Pretty long range too. Yeah, it seems like you get the right, you know, the right powder and bullet combo, and it can be real impressive. So, what's your typical powder and bullet combo? Well, I guess it it varies between each rifle, but as far as like powder, do you have a go-to powder that you're always using? Um, it used to be uh, like H1000 Rotumbo for everything. Okay. Recently, uh, Alliant came out with a powder called Reloader 26 a few years back. It's just a new variation. They had, you know, so Alliant has, you've got like Reloader 17 and 19, 22, 25. Okay. And a lot of those have been around for a long time. Um, but they came out with a new variation on Reloader 25. So it's a similar burn rate, but it's more temp stable. So does it not, it, you're going to have to explain this. So, I'm not a hunt, I'm not very good with rifles or even long range or anything like that. So just dumb it down as far as somebody like me who doesn't really know jack shit. So let's let's hear it. So as far as like the burn rate and stuff like that, does that mean so it doesn't like mess up the brass or? It just depends. So different cartridges require different burn rate powder. Yeah. So the smaller the cartridge generally, the smaller the cartridge, the faster the, the burn rate is going to need to be. So okay. So then the bigger the cartridge is slower yes so when you look at a you think it'd be opposite because there's more that it has to cover like since you can put so much more powder in a larger brass you mm-hmm. would think it'd want to be faster so it gets through all of it yeah and i'm not exactly That's... sure what you know the the science is behind it but i just know you get too fast of a burn rate powder in a large cartridge uh-huh and it's going to generate too much pressure. Oh, Assuming okay. the same powder charge. So, right, when you look at your 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 reloading manual for, say, a 300 Ultra Mag, uh-huh. it's going to take a whole lot of powder. And, you know, obviously the powders that are going to, you know, what we have found is the powders that are going to be the most accurate are the slower burning powders. You can shoot them as fast as burning powder as you want, but you might be able to shoot 90 grains of something like Rotumbo. But if you put a faster powder in it, like... H4350 or something that's real popular for a Creedmoor, you might only be able to shoot 80 grains or 75 even. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I mean, and generally, and then at that point, you're only using 80% of your case capacity. You have too much air in there, and it starts to become inconsistent. You lose accuracy. And This is full-on a science. When it comes to reloading, it's a science in itself because there's so many variations that you can use, right? Yeah, there's as far as like the depth of the bullet, how much powder you're using, all that shit. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's hundreds of different variables and, and things that are going to affect the accuracy, and it's not very difficult to take. You know, when you have a good quality gun and a good quality scope, it's not that hard to get something that's going to group an inch or three quarters of an inch. Okay, what do you typically but, try and group for with with your loads? Like, what's your? Do you have like a certain grouping that you want? Do you want to make a clover? Um, I mean, obviously, that'd be nice, but... Yeah, for sure, sub-half-inch. Okay. I mean... Half-inch, sub-half-inch groups? 
Yeah. Okay. If you're, if you're measuring yeah. center to center of the bullet, mm-hmm. it's got to be less than half inch for sure. Okay. Which at a hundred or at a hundred. Okay. At a hundred. Yeah. Um, which you know then that translates into a five inch group at a thousand. Okay. Generally, you know, if if I go and have a custom rifle built and I'm only able to get it to group a half inch at a hundred, nothing's going down the road. You know, most of these guns you should be able to basically put them through the same hole at 100 yards. That are custom-built? The custom-built guns? Or yeah. any gun? The custom ones. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, a factory gun, I think most factory guns, you can make shoot a half-inch group mm-hmm. or better. I mean, one of the best shooting guns I've ever owned was still my um, gun I got into long range with. It was a Savage Long Range Hunter 6.5 284, and that thing shot phenomenal. Um, but... Uh, you know, the thing with factory guns is they're inconsistent. I mean, you can buy two guns that are exactly the same. One shoots great. One shoots like crap. Mm-hmm. Where when you start getting into, you know, the higher-end production guns or custom guns, <coughs> you, don't, me. you don't have to deal with that. Okay. So as far as, like, a custom, going with a custom gun, is there some specifics that you're wanting for any custom gun? Or are usually most all custom guns kind of the same? No, there's there's a really broad range. Well, I mean, for example, you know, you look at the 300 Norma here we got sitting in front of us. I mean, this is kind of on the more extreme end of things, but it's, you know, basically every component is different than what you're going to build a custom hunting rifle with. Is that just because everything's more heavy duty or? Um, it depends. For the most part, it's you know ultimately it comes down to weight because if you could use these com- these same components on a hunting rifle that were lighter, lot lighter. weight, yeah, I mean it's only going to improve your accuracy. Mm-hmm. But you know when you're looking at a, a rifle, you're going to pack around. There's going to be some trade-offs there. So how much does this normal weigh? Because it looks like a bulky son of a bitch. Yeah, it's with the bipod, it's about 21, 22 pounds, I think. So this is only a bench gun. You don't hunt with it. I'd like to shoot a spring bear with it. Okay, um, just set it up on back of a pickup or something or the side of the mountain and just let a rip tater chip? Yeah, I think it'd be fun, especially if, when I get that Mount Emily tag again, shooting across those canyons. Okay. Um, Do you think you can shoot across any of those canyons with this gun? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, shooting at a bear in this gun, I mean, I'd feel pretty comfortable out to like 1,200 with it. I mean, I think I could hit past that, but, it, you know, your odds are, are going down. There's a lot of variables that go into play. After yeah. a thousand yards. Yeah. Well, I mean, even inside of a thousand yards, but they are more significant outside a thousand yards, right? Yeah, for sure. Your okay. your margin of error goes up drastically. Okay. Okay. So as far as, say, like me, I want to build a custom gun. What would mm-hmm. be your go-to for, like, scope, caliber, action? Everything. Well, like, what would you recommend some some guy off the street? And I know it varies between a bunch of different people because some people like, say, coffee, and some people like tea. It's kind of the same thing with guns. There's a there's a, a black and white night and day difference between some of the things. Yeah, it generally, you know, it it all depends on what your priority is, right? Okay. Um, so I mean, if we start with scopes, and let's say. You know, let's say your first priority is just reliability, mm-hmm. which, you know, I had a bad experience. Uh, I've had a bad experience with a couple other scope manufacturers. Who are they? Leopold and Vortex. You've had bad experiences with them? Mm-hmm. What were, I, I had like, a, what's I, the cause of it? Um, or I, what was the bad experience, I guess I should ask. I've just seen a couple of the, che- the you know, the, the mid and, you know, mid-range Vortex scopes. You know, they they have good clarity, mm-hmm. and they're fairly affordable for what they are, which makes them popular. But as far as reliability, some of them have some issues. Okay. Um, and then, you know, even like the, I don't know. I'm a Vortex fan. They make really good glass for the money. Their, the erector systems in their scopes are not as reliable as I would like. Okay. But, and then, you know, probably... Six, seven years ago, I missed what would have been the biggest bull of my life because I had a Leopold and failed on me. Okay, how did it fail on you? 
something and it came loose. I'm not sure, but it was when I sh- shot it when I got back home at 100 yards, something was like rocking. So it shoot left, right, left. Right. I took I took four shots and put two touching here on the left and then two touching on the right, about eight inches apart at 100 yards. Wow, that's yeah. very. Did it, did you send it back to him? I did, and then what did they do about it? it? The the first time I sent it back, it wasn't fixed. I, I took it out shooting again, and it had the same issue. Um, which I had a, a husk scope at the time that I was swapping back and forth with the Leopold just to confirm it wasn't an issue with the gun or ammo or something. And, uh-huh. I mean, you could strap a different scope on it and just punch holes. So after the second, you know, after I sent it back to them for the second time, I got it back and just sold it. Um, which did you? Did you give a disclaimer to the person who bought it? Be like, hey, this is what's happening to me. I did. I told him. Okay. And, but, you know, it was one of those 60-year-old guys, and, like, in their mind, a, a gold ring Leopold is the best scope on the market regardless. <laughs> I'm like, good for you, buddy. Yeah. Give me my money. <laughs> Show yeah. me my money. Yeah. Um, but I am coming around to Leopold, I think. It seems like in the last few years, and especially with um, these new Mark V scopes that they've got. Mm-hmm. Is, well, didn't they just come out with another one, too? Isn't it the Mark VI? Or, or VX6 or some shit like that? What It's something 6. It ends a 6. They've had the VX6 for a little while. Um, I think they came out with a Mark III. Okay. I believe. I think they're kind of you know playing off the popularity of the Mark V, trying to sell basically a Mark V at a lower price point. Gotcha. Which, okay. at that point, you're getting down to that price point where it's just not going to be as reliable as you need. Yeah. Um, but I have a Mark V out in out in the shop, new in the box that I'm planning on putting on that seven psalm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Leopold, play with it, and try see. it because and so back to kind of you know building a custom rifle uh-huh. on that seven psalm. My priority is weight. So although you know I have a bunch of night forces and I've been using night forces for years at this point and never had a single issue with them, they're very heavy. I mean, okay. you can't build an ultralight gun and put a night force scope on would you, it. Would you say the night force is like the spot hog of archery? Just big, bulky, but they're they've got some good meat behind them where they're not going to fail you. Yeah, they're you know they're just proven. I mean, they've been around for a long time. The military's used them for a while, and and every once in a while you'll run into a guy that that had an issue with a night force and isn't a fan of them. But for the most part, it's you know across the board, it's going to be hard to find a scope manufacturer that's more reliable than them. Um, and you know, it's amazing, like that VX6 I had far better glass. I mean, you know, light transmission, clarity, everything's better than the night force, but ultimately that doesn't matter, you know, if it's not going to be reliable. No kidding. Yep. So yeah. And that's kind of where, you know, building, you know, if you're going to build a custom rifle for yourself, I mean, the best bang for the buck is going to be. Um, probably like a Night Force NXS or Leopold Mark V, just like we've talked. And there's a lot of options of other good scopes out there. Um, Callus, which is basically a, a sister company to Swarovski, that makes mm-hmm. their more tactical and competition scopes. Okay. It's getting really popular, and they make some really good products. Um, but they're going to be heavy as well. So, assuming you're building a gun with weight as your number one priority, I think that Leopold Mark V is the best. I haven't personally owned one. You know, I've shot through Buddy's guns that have that scope on them, um, and they seem good. I know the a lot of the ELR guys that I've shot against with this gun are using the 7-35 to 35 Mark V on their guns. Holy shit. And that zooms in a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if they were having... So one of the biggest things that's going to affect... I mean, aside from sort of like a catastrophic failure, which you could say my VX6 had... Um, when you run into uh, lower end scopes, they're not going to track accurately. So if you dial your turret up 100 MOA, mm-hmm. it's not always moving 100 MOA. Oh, there's you know there's a series of kind of I'm not super familiar with it, but from what I've seen, the erector system, which is basically the whole internal mechanism on the scope that's going to move up and down and left and right. Yeah. Um, is not a terribly complicated system. So <clears throat> when you get a higher-end scope, it's you know if you dial 100 MOA, it should move 100 MOA. So if those Leopold Mark Vs were having tracking issues, then in these ELR competitions, those issues would be magnified when guys are shooting you know 2,000, 3,000 yards. Oh yeah, I would never so, do that. 
<laughs> but <laughs> if I, mean, I can get to a thousand yards, I'd be happy. And I mean, most guys can do that any day of the week. But yeah, I've just I don't have the experience to say I've shot that far, or even have a gun capable of doing that. No, but I'm just saying. I mean, you want everything to be. You know, if it's going to work at that distance, yep. right, when your margin of error is so small, yep. then you know it's going to be f- more than adequate and reliable at a 1,000 and in for what the average yep. person is doing. Oh, that so, makes sense. so that gives me confidence in those scopes. Um, and yeah. as far as, like, caliber, what would be your go-to caliber? If you can do it, like, money not being an option, what caliber would you go with? You know, when it comes to caliber, it's, I mean, if you're going to reload, pretty much anything you do is going to be relatively expensive. Um, they're, uh... Holy shit, it just started dumping rain outside. It's like uh, a monsoon. Well, we need it. Yeah, no kidding. It's been dry as hell over here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry for the distraction. No. <laughs> you know, when I look at caliber, it's all based around weight. Um, you know, a 28 nozzler, 300 ultra mag... 338 Lapua even, you know, they all perform great. They have a lot of energy. They shoot flat, you know, they beat the wind. But you put a 300 Ultra Mag in a 7-pound rifle, it's going to beat the shit out of you. So... Kick like a mule. Yeah. Um, That's where, you know, like my, you know, my go-to gun is a 300 Wind Mag. And it's a slightly heavier setup. It's about 10 or 11 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still light enough. And, you know, it's controllable enough that you can spot your hits, you know, so even at a thousand yards, as long as you're doing everything properly, I mean, that gun's not going to jump off target. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, that's, for an ultralight gun, that's where I think that 7 Psalm, 7 Psalm and 6.5 PRC are basically the two options right now. Because you're limited by your action length at that point. Because if you're trying to build a gun as light as possible, it has to be off of short action. When you start looking at a short action, if you want something that's going to have the energy to kill an animal at 800 or 1,000 yards, you don't have a whole lot of caliber options. Yeah, yeah. So are you, is the reason that going with short actions now is just to kind of cut down on weight, help cut down on weight? Yeah, weight and, you know, you do save an inch, inch and a half on your overall length, uh, which is, you know, easier for throwing it on a backpack. Well, shit, some people wish they had an extra inch or inch and a half in length, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, so then what would be, like, the ideal action length? Does it, like, do you go off of, that, like, this certain measurement? Or do you just say, all right, I want this caliber so that you know what that action length is going to be. And you obviously know it's going to be shorter, like, say, 6.5 PRC versus your uh, Norma. Um, I mean, you know, generally... When you so when you get into custom actions, you do run into quite a there's you know like defiance I believe has four different action lengths. Okay. Um, but for the most part, you're going to deal with a Remington long Seven. action length or a Remington short action. Is and that the Remington 700? Yes. Is that the okay? Yeah, and so you know it's kind of set the standard. So this action that you're looking at here on the 300 Norma is going to fit a Remington 700 footprint. Most action most custom actions are going to fit a Remington 700 footprint. Just because then it's easier to find bottom metal and stocks and triggers and yep. and all that stuff for it. So, I mean, most calibers, I mean, there's some stuff like the 65284, for example, is a caliber that guys will run out of a short action or a long action. So it's it started as a competition caliber. Those guys would run it out of a short action because they're going to run a single shot. Oh, okay, versus like having the box on there. Yeah, so if you want something you can run a magazine on, you got to run a long action. Okay. Um, and then, like, the 7 Psalm as well. You load it with a reasonable, you know, like a 162, 168 gram bullet. Mm-hmm. You can fit it in the magazine on a short action. Some guys, even though Psalm stands for short action, ultra mag, some guys build them on a long action and run, like, a 195 Burger or a 190 Hornady, some outrageously long bullet. And then, and then they can fit it in the magazine. But at that point, it sort of defeats the purpose of running that cartridge because when you go to a long action, it opens up your options for a 28 Nosler or, or you know, 7 STW or any of those. Okay, okay. Um, so so it's, when you say 7 SOM, is that 7 millimeter SOM? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Because there's your standard seven millimeter, mm-hmm. and then your seven som. Yes. Okay. So is it the difference just the short action versus standard action? Yeah. So the som is a, a a shorter, fatter case, basically. Okay. Um, it's sort of you know there's a seven WSM as well, but the som is even more extreme than that. It's a weird case to look at. Um, basically, when you look at it, it's going to look like the bullet is as long as the case. But the th- the thing with that, and you know, just like with the WSMs, those shorter, fatter cases are generally more efficient. So you get more velocity with the same powder charge than a case that's going to be a little longer and narrower. So okay. the seven psalm, you can shoot, you know, a hundred and eighty gram bullet at about twenty nine hundred and fifty feet per second which is almost the same velocity you're going to shoot that bullet out of a 7-ram mag. Um, but you're going to do it with a lot less powder. Not a lot less, but I mean like 5 grains less powder. Okay. But, I mean, in the long run, is that 5 grains going to make that big of a difference? Pro- possibly? No. I mean, no. ultimately the, the grains don't matter. It's just the velocity when it leaves the muzzle. Okay. Um you know, it's just most cartridges, when you sacrifice five grains of powder, you're going to sacrifice 100, 150 feet per second in velocity. But due to the case design of a cartridge like the 7 Psalm, you can, you know, you have all the gains of going to a shorter cartridge, right, by running a short action. But there's not really any, you don't have to give up anything because although you are losing those five grains of powder due to the case design, you're not losing the velocity that you would with a different cartridge. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. So it's just really, you know, like Gunworks has has been using that a lot. And, uh, you know, smaller custom gun makers seem to be building more of them. So it's just really kind of starting to get popular. Uh, because people are seeing the benefits of it. And, you know, as the sort of, like, ultra-light backpacking craze gets more popular, people are wanting smaller, lighter guns that they can still kill an elk with, you know? Yeah, so, so like, that, they're they're trying to find the happy medium of a lighter gun while still having a larger cartridge. Yeah. Or caliber, I guess. Yeah. Because what I've seen is there's a lot of people, like, there's a big thing right now is people are using these magnesium chassis, the XLR chassis, yep. and they're they're getting them set up in like a 300 ROM, 300 PRC, just 300 Win Mag stuff like that, 6.5 PRC. But they're light guns. The I think with the scope, they're like about eight pounds, seven seven eight pounds somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So I mean that for a rifle, that's light. Yeah. I mean, especially compared to this Norma. <laughs> yeah, anything's light compared to this. <laughs> Um, this gun's fun though. You need to shoot it sometime. I mean, it's at a thousand yards. You just get it set up. Triggers at like eight ounces, so you just, just barely anything. Yeah, you just barely breathe on it. And but I mean, the gun doesn't jump. You just, you know, however far you're shooting, you just watch the bullet go poof on the plate. Well, the farthest I've ever shot was 500 yards, and that was out without dialing. That was just kind of a Kentucky windage holdover mm-hmm. type of deal, pull and pray. Yeah. But, I mean, I wasn't shooting at animal. I was just shooting at a rock on the side of the mountain with Chad. Yeah. And, well, I center punched it, but that was just shithouse luck. Mm-hmm. So, to be able to actually mess with it, dial, stuff like that, yeah, I'd love I'd love to shoot it. Yeah. It's, and know what a, a good quality gun could actually do. Yeah. It's, it's amazing when you, you know, you get a gun like this dialed in on a calm day, and, I mean, you can just, you know, out where I shoot, the furthest plate's 1,400 yards, and. You just go out there, you just, dial. you know, yeah, dial that yardage. and. So do you use, like, a Kestrel or something like that to test the wind, check the wind and stuff like that? Or at that point, at that yardage, you don't really even need to? You just kind of shoot it because it's such a big gun? Um, no, I mean, <laughs> regardless of caliber, when you get past 1,000 yards, wind is going to play a big part. So, but sub 1,000, you don't think it will affect it that much? It just depends. Depends on how windy it is, right? If it's a 20 okay. mile an hour wind, it's still going to move it a whole bunch. I sort of enjoy not using. What I'll kind of do is sort of guess the wind and just start shooting and then measure it afterwards. Oh, okay. Um, just so you can kind of get that. It, it's almost like tra- shooting a traditional bow without ranging. You just kind of 
doing it instinctively. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, you know, because the wind is we- weird. And it's, you know, that's sort of the thing that separates a good shooter from a great shooter is their ability to, you know, read the wind and adjust for it. Okay. Um, and because, you know, when you're looking, let's say you're shooting 1,400 yards, right? It might feel pretty calm. Maybe you have a light breeze where you're at, but when you're looking through your scope and you see that grass start moving more, you have to adjust for that because the wind at the target is completely different than the wind where you're at. Okay. And, I mean, there's even times, like, you know, I've been watching through spotters, like at ELR shoots, when you're just kind of watching these other guys, and you'll see them shoot, right? And, you know, these are at yardages. It might have, like, a three, four, five-second flight time. You'll, they'll pull the trigger, and then about that time, you see the grass kick up at that target that you're looking at you know might be 2500 yards and you're like oh you you know the bullet's not even halfway there yet right and you're like oh it's gonna miss just because you know you know that wind picked up by two miles an hour and that bullet's gone so and obviously it's not that extreme when you're shooting at normal hunting ranges right yeah but once you get out past that yeah because i mean let's say you're shooting at a deer at 850 yards right with you know let's say you're shooting a standard remington 7 mag 850 yards right Let's say you take out your kestrel and you read the wind. It's eight miles an hour. You can adjust your scope to eight miles an hour. But by the time you do that to the point when you're behind the gun ready to pull the trigger, that wind's probably changed. So you have to have in your head that you're using that eight miles an hour at a baseline. And you have to sort of know what that eight miles an hour felt like, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're ready to pull the trigger, whether you feel that wind, you know, pick up a little bit or die down a little bit, you have to just hold over in your crossers and you might just be moving over say three inches right but that's the thing that's really going to make the difference is the ability to just make those small adjustments and understand how the wind is going to affect that bullet okay so what if you don't adjust for the wind and just kind of adjust after the fact as far as like don't dial for it just kind of hold over you can do that, and especially, you know, using the crosshairs. I mean, you can you can hold over exactly, you know, four or five minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to to dial, like I just said, and sort of use that as a baseline and then hold over from there. Okay. It's just weird, especially if it's not, if it's just a slight breeze and you're only going to hold over maybe one or two minutes in your scope, it's not much. But when you're holding over, say, five or six, so your crosshairs are over here and your target's over here, it's just harder to focus, at least for me. It just throws me off, right? Okay. okay. Having the crosshairs that far off of your target. Yeah. Yeah, that would kind of that would throw me through a loop also. I'd be like, what the fuck? I'm supposed to hold my crosshairs where I want to hit, not like yeah. adjust or have it off centered. Yeah. But sometimes you don't have time to dial, and that's your only option. So, I mean, you got to do that too. But, I mean, the biggest thing when it comes to wind is just shooting a lot mm-hmm. and understand because – and it's tricky, too, when guys have multiple guns because, I mean... Each gun shoots differently. Yeah. And, they, and like, the way they fly through the wind, it's all going to be different. Yeah, exactly. If a guy has a 6.5 Creedmoor and a 300 Ultra Mag, they're going to be affected by the wind completely differently. Oh, yeah. Would, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. But if you can go out and shoot that Creedmoor in the wind and hit your target, when it comes to shoot the 300 Ultra Mag on a windy day, you're going to be like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Yeah. Because it's just so much less influence. Or like wind. using a, a TG3 or 5.56 or something like that, going out and practicing with, in the wind with that. Mm-hmm. That'd be a hell of a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot cheaper. Bullets are a lot cheaper for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can reload those a hell of a lot cheaper than your yeah. Norma. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, one of the reasons I went with the Norma opposed to going with something bigger like a you know a 375 shy attack or whatever is that it is relatively affordable to shoot oh okay i mean it doesn't really cost any more than like you know a, a 300 ultra mag or you know 20 nozzle or anything like that does to shoot so although i was shooting some some flatline solid copper bullets at one point that are like a buck 50 a piece those got expensive in a hurry they're really cool did they shoot good though it did um okay. But I just, I wasn't really utilizing the gun because I was just afraid to go shoot it. Because every time you went shooting, it was 100 bucks basically. Yeah. Um, and sense. I'm talking, you know, buck fifty for the individual bullet itself, right? Not factoring in primer or brass or powder. I mean. Oh, shit. So at that point, it was probably five, six bucks a bullet uh, after I'm, everything said and done? Yeah. I mean, you're able to reuse the brass. But, yeah, if you're just looking at, you know, one shot for all that, yeah. Damn. 
Um, That's a lot. So as far as what your setup is for the Norma, can you break that down a little bit? So obviously it's a it's a 300 Norma. You got it topped with the Night Force. What Night Force is this? Uh, this is a 5 to 25 attacker. It's you know it's pretty common. Uh, it's nothing nothing too extreme. The advantage of the attacker over the NXS is just that it has a little bit more magnification. It's got a little larger main tube. It's 34 millimeter instead of 30, so you have a little bit more travel. Okay. What um, what's the zoom on it? Five to twenty-five. Oh, did you say that? Sorry. Yeah. No. Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> five to twenty-five. All right, we're good. Yeah. Um. And is this long? It's long action. Yep. It's just a standard Remington seven hundred long action. It's a uh, a larger diameter bolt, so it, it's a three thirty-eight Lapua diameter oh. action. Um, okay. Which it's hard to find that an action, you know, that diameter that'll still fit a Remington 700 footprint because generally in order to get the larger bolt, they have to make the entire action bigger. Um, I'm not sure how Defiance does it, but it is nice to be able to still drop it in a a 700 footprint. Okay. Um, And then as far as you, or the overall length of the barrel and stuff like that, what is that? A 30 inch barrel. It's a straight taper. So, you know, most hunting rifles are going to be stepped where they start out at a larger diameter where it meets the action. And then, you know, it's got a pretty steep transition where it tapers down. And then it's got a slight taper from there just to save the extra weight that is up here at the the back of the barrel. Um, Where, you know, the straight taper puts a little bit more weight towards the center of the gun. And does that help kind of balance it out when you're shooting? It does. And the large, you know, and just having the larger diameter barrel helps with heating issues as well when you're shooting a lot of shots. So it doesn't heat up as much or it does heat up? It doesn't heat up as much. Okay. Because it's thicker or because that doesn't really make sense. I would say the more you have more material, so it would heat up. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how it works. Um, I would guess that a larger diameter barrel probably retains heat longer than a smaller diameter one. Okay. But I think it just takes more heat initially to, heat to up get the that barrel hot. I think okay. that's what it is. That makes Okay, that makes more sense right yeah. there. Because I was trying to figure out the thermodynamics on it and just in my head, and it, it wasn't making sense initially. Yeah, I don't I don't fully understand it. You know, I do know carbon dissipates heat way faster than these. Um but, you know, on a gun like this, the objective is is to get it a little heavier so you don't have as much recoil. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And as far as your bipod and stuff like that, what is, what's this? It looks pretty sweet. Um, that is the Atlas Super Cal bipod. So it's just a little, you know, a little larger diameter legs. It's a little bit wider. Uh, it just helps lower your center of gravity a little bit. Do the legs extend out? Can they get longer? Yeah. Yeah, they extend out quite a bit, but they're pretty tall to start with. Okay. And as far as, like, when you're doing all these competitions, do you guys, like, have a bench or something that you lay on, or are you just laying on the ground, or how does that work? It depends. Some will have a bench you can shoot off of. Um, A lot of them you have to shoot off the ground. Okay. But, you know, once you have a good setup, it doesn't doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, my goal is, you know, in order to be as consistent as possible, I try and, you know, put as as little influence on the gun as possible. So it's just kind of doing its thing. All I'm really doing is, is dialing the scope and then just just touching the trigger when it comes time. And obviously leveling it out. So, yeah. So you, so you level it and then you, this got to lock. That's what this is, right? It locks it at the angle you want it? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the the funky-looking feet here allow it to slide. So, you know, if, it, if this had rubber feet, when it recoils, it would kind of pull back and then jump a Jump bit. on it. Yeah, where this is just going to slide straight back. Okay. Do you see this being like the typical go-to for long-range shooting, or is everybody different? It's like more of a preference thing. No, for competition guys, they're pretty much all all going to this. You wouldn't want that on a hunting rifle. But okay. Um, yeah, and then we got you know just this is the McMillan A5 stock, which has been the standard for a long time. Um, pretty sure Chris Kyle's. 300 wind mag that he used was a McMillan A5. Is it? Okay. Um, it might have been, might have been an A3 or something, but um, 
Yeah, I know the military has used McMillan for a while. Uh, real popular with competition shooters. They make Benchrest stocks. They make ELR-specific stocks. This is just kind of a good all-around... Um, I guess more of a, a tactical stock. So, now that we're on the topic of stocks, how do you feel about the chassis? Are you for them, opposed to them, or what's what's your thoughts on it? I'm not a fan of chassis for hunting rifles. Um, my experience with them, and you know, I've owned a couple chassis guns, and they're loud and cold. You know, anytime they brush up against something or contact any sort of other metal, you know, they're clanking. Ting, ting, tapping. Carrying them around in cold weather is is no fun. Put some gloves on. Go meet a pussy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's the downside to them. What would you say is a pro to them then? Do you have any pros or just all cons? Um, I mean, you know, they are adjustable. Generally, you know, compared to a traditional hunting stock, you know, it's, it's easier to adjust the... You know, the length of pull on it, as well as add rails or something to put a bipod on it. Some of them you can put different grips on them. Um, I, you know, there's so many good options now for a lightweight carbon fiber stock for a hunting rifle that I would lean towards more just finding the stock that you like and going with that rather than a chassis. Okay. Um, but, I mean, they're not bad, and especially like you said with the lighter weight ones that they're coming out with. You know, for a long time, I think guys that put chassis on a hunting rifle just wore them because they thought they looked cool. Yeah. Trying to be tacked cool. Yeah, tacked cool. Um, but they weren't really practical. Hmm. Where now, you know, they're light enough and, you know, you put a folding stock on there. I was just about to say that, I mean, they're collapsible. They have that folding stock on it. Yeah. That'd be nice for, like, carrying them in your pack. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they, they do have some benefits now. But... I'm still not going to buy one anytime soon. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. That works. So, and then like barrels, what, how do you feel about like the carbon fiber barrels? Um, I think for a hunting rifle, they're great. Um, but not for the type of shooting you're doing with this gun. Yeah, just, you know, pretty much, you know, unless you're doing sort of like a, a hunter class PRS style competition where you're you know, your gun has to be under 12 pounds or whatever. Um, pretty much any other style of competition, weight is just to your advantage. So you might as well just run a big steel barrel. But um, as far as hunting rifles and, you know, kind of like we were talking earlier, you know, building something with weight being the priority, I think they're awesome. Um, you don't save a whole lot. I, f- I think that some people sort of view a carbon fiber barrel as like, oh, you throw a carbon fiber barrel and suddenly your gun is ultralight. That's no, you're going to save half to a third of a pound. Oh, that's um, not very much. No, but, I mean, you look at it and, you know, you go from a Night Force to a Mark V on the scope, you know, you're saving half a pound. You go to a carbon fiber barrel, you're saving half a pound. That all adds up in the end. Yeah, you yeah. go from a traditional hunting stock to a carbon fiber hunting stock, you're going to save, like, a pound, you know. And there's even, like, Defiance has come out with some really great ultralight actions here in the last couple of years. And, I mean, you can save a half a pound on your action. Jesus, like, so at that, at, from all the things you just mentioned right now, that's like almost three pounds that you're saving in weight. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's you know, substantial, and it's, you know, it all costs more money, but if you're going to build a custom gun, like, it's expensive anyways, you might as well get the best stuff you can get. True. So, yeah, I mean, there's, and, yeah, I mean, there's been so many good components come out just in the last couple of years that it's amazing. Okay, so let's let's break it down to your dream gun. No dollar amount matters, just every component you would get and like caliber, all that, scope, everything. What would you what how would you build it from the ground up? Um, you know, three to eighteen Leopold Mark V, which I've already got one out there ready for the Psalm. Uh the Defiance A N T I X action. It's their ultralight action with an integral rail on it. Uh, probably a Bartline carbon fiber barrel. There's a lot of good companies now. You know, for the longest time, proof research was sort of the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, Bartline's doing carbon fiber barrels. Christensen barrels are a little cheaper, but they're still good. Um, Snake River, Hell's Canyon Armory? Hell's Canyon Armory is making some, and they use a little different process that's supposed to make them more consistent. Um, I don't know. I think one of those would be cool to try. I've never used it before. As far as the stock goes, 
Um, the Gunworks Climber stock is pretty neat. It's not, you can find some carbon fiber stocks that are going to be a little bit lighter than it, but just the ergonomics and, you know, Gunworks has put a lot of science and, you know, a lot of time and money into developing those stocks that are going to be comfortable, but still lightweight for hunting. Yeah. Um, one of the sense. things I really like about them is they have an integral Picatinny rail here at the front. Like so on the side? Underneath. So it's basically oh, okay. notched out right here. So instead of having to mount the rail on the bottom of oh, the Oh, it's stock, already built in. Yeah. So um, so then you could just mount it to like your tripod, your your standard tripod that allows you to – well, there's some that can fit onto a tripod and just clip in. Have you seen those? Yeah, I think you're probably talking about the like the Accuracy International style that has like a little pin comes out of the front of a stock. Is that what uh, – I'm not sure. Where it's going to mount right here. No, the what front. the ones that I've seen, it, it like actually it's got the rail, but it's a hell of a lot wider. Than the one you got on here, and then they'll just mount to a tripod. You can just like slide them in, click them, and they work for a tripod. Oh, I get. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. This is just more. You know, I like it because one, it's lower profile, so your rail's not hanging up on stuff. Yep. Okay. And then the other thing is, it's just going to lower the center of your gravity that much more, even though it's only making a half inch of half inch difference. Um, I think it would be enough that it'd be noticeable when you're shooting, which I haven't shot off one of those stocks yet, but I'm really curious to see. Do you think so, you'll buy one eventually? I will. When I build this Psalm, I'm just going to just build it the way I want. And, you know, my plan is basically that'll be my do-everything gun. You know, Hunt, you know. long range, all of it? Not for competition, but as far as hunting deer and elk and, you know, whatever, it'll shoot 162 grand bullet at like 3,000 feet per second. And, you know, that'll have enough energy that, you know, I'll shoot an elk eight or nine hundred yards with it and still smack it. Yeah, yeah, I'll be confident at that range, and it'll you know it'll have a twenty-two inch barrel on it, and so it'll be compact. How heavy do you think it'll be? About ten pounds. Uh, I'm thinking with the scope under eight is the goal. Oh damn. Okay. Yeah. Figure six pounds for the gun, two for the scope. That's kind of kind of what I'm going for. Okay, that'll so, be nice. Yeah, we'll see. Something that light and that compact. I mean. You know, and I want something basically, you know, if I'm in the mountains shed hunting in the spring or whatever it may be, something that's small enough and light enough, you can still just throw it in your pack and not feel bad about carrying it around all day, mm-hmm. just in case you do come across a cougar or bear or, yeah. or that sort of thing. Makes sense. There you go. Um, yeah, and then as far as, you know, bottom metal is pretty straightforward. Um, a lot of people go with a detachable magazine like this on a hunting rifle which I hate uh, because they almost always rattle, you know. It's you just, hit them on something, they cling. Yeah, and they, they do get hung up on a lot of stuff because they stick out the bottom of the gun, and there's just more room for dirt and stuff to get in there. It's just So you wouldn't have an attach detachable? You would have just a feet over the top? Uh, just a hinged floor plate, yeah. So you can, you know, feed them in from the top and then flick it, flick it down in the bottom if you needed to. But And then, a, yeah, and then for a trigger, you know, anything trigger tech is good probably wouldn't go this is a diamond so i think the heaviest this trigger goes is a pound and a half um which would be pretty light on a hunting rifle do um, you like heavy or light triggers i like i like my hunting guns around two pounds um so then why do you have why okay why do you have this one so light just because on a target gun you know lighter is generally better when it comes to accuracy and consistency because you you're not like jerking it one way or the other, I guess. Correct. Right? Yeah, the less pressure you have to put on the trigger, the less influence you're going to put on the gun. Okay. And, you know, the greater consistency you're going to so have. So why don't you want that for hunting? You do, but when you get below two pounds, um, you know, things start getting a little sketchy. If you're using gloves or shooting in a hurry. Okay. Um, it'll, it'll just kind of go off and not necessarily be where you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, for most hunting situations, you're going to have time to lay down and range and take your time and, you know, put a good shot on an animal. Yeah. But, um, you know, every once in a while it gets a little Western, right? Yeah. And, well, yeah. Uh, you know, you don't a little wired herb Western. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't want the gun going off, you know, before you're ready. So, yeah. As far as, you know, kind of the, ultimate hunting rifle something like that um as far as you know i don't know if i would build a gun that light in anything larger than like a 28 nosler okay um 
you know, and people are going to say like, oh, well, why not just go with a, you know, a 300 Ultra Mag and a 28 Nozzler have similar case capacities. Ultra Mag's not that much more. Why go with that? Well, the difference between shooting a 180 grain bullet in a 28 Nozzler and a 225 grain bullet in a 300 Ultra Mag is going to be a massive difference in recoil. So as far as a hell of a lot more. Yeah, I think okay. it, I I assume it's just the whole like Newtons, you know, for every action is an equal and opposite reaction yep. type thing. Because, Second law. You know, yeah, the more you know, the more weight you have to propel, then you know, the more force you're gonna have going yep. backwards. Um, Makes sense. I know. Which gun was it? 338 Ultra Mag. I was doing some load development for that a couple of years ago, and I was shooting 285 Hornadies, and it was just beating the shit out of me. And it's not a very heavy gun. <laughs> And uh, and you were probably about what twenty pounds lighter then <laughs> than what you are now. <laughs> no, I was about the same, but um, yeah, I just couldn't believe it because I had shot that gun for a long time with two fifty burgers, and uh, you know the the BC is so good on that two eighty five Hornady that I'm like, man, you know, it really retained some energy out there, and uh, anyways, I uh, I got tired of. Of shooting those 285s, I went back to the 250. It's far more comfortable. Yeah. The, the little bit of ballistic performance that I'm sacrificing is is worth the comfort, the lack of shoulder pain. Okay, there you go. So yeah. Um. And okay, so and if you could build a a competition rifle gun, what would you go with? Damn near the same thing, just everything heavier versus lighter. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is pretty much you know when I built this Norma here, I. I spared no expense. I mean, I spent a whole lot of money on it. Um, Didn't you say it took you several years to get it built to where you can piece it all together? Or you piece it all together, right? It was a little over a year. Okay. Of, yeah, just because components are hard to get, and they're even harder to get now. Um, but, yeah, you know, and I built this gun basically for something, you know, a gun that you could consistently shoot 2,000 yards <coughs> with sort of an old, you know, a max range of 2,500 which I've, you know, like I said earlier, at 2503, you know, I'm, you know, even though there's guys out there shooting 416s and 375s, they're like, oh, 2,500 yards, that's no big deal. To do that with this gun is, you know, an achievement. And the fact that you can shoot that far with the same bullet that you're going to be shooting out of your 300 Win Mag is pretty cool. And so, I mean, that's just a testament to sort of the, the scope and the setup of the gun. But if I was... You know, it depends what you're going to do, right? So, like I said, I mean, this was built with the purpose of being able to shoot, you know, in that one mile, 2,000 yards consistently and accurately and do it relatively cheaply. Mm -hmm. If I was going to build something different, I'd build some sort of a 375, you know, a shy tack or an enabler, uh, build it a little bit heavier, probably maybe even build that on a chassis. Um, but, you know, at that point, you know, you build one of those guns. I mean, this action was like fifteen hundred bucks, which is expensive. But you start Jesus. getting just the action itself. Yeah, but you start getting like you know, there's uh, JJ Rock and I'm drawing a blank, but there's some other companies that make actions specifically designed for these larger cartridges. I mean, they'll, oh, okay. be, they'll be twenty five hundred, three thousand bucks just for the action. Holy shit! That's yeah, expensive. And then you start getting into barrels beyond thirty inches. I mean, when you're looking at thirty two, thirty four, I mean, it's just getting more money and you know it's and the reloading components i mean the the bullets and the brass it's it costs a lot of money i mean you're going to be ten thousand dollars into the gun and then you know several thousand dollars a year just to, ammo yeah just just to run it <laughs> jesus um so i'm not quite to that point yet yeah so i'll stick with my little 300 norma at you know, 2,000 yards and, and be plenty happy with it for now. No, that's fine, man. That's good. Do you so. do you ever want to try and poke out past 2,500 yards? Oh, yeah. Yes. Once I can afford it, I definitely will. What do you mean afford it? Well, I mean, oh, with this gun, I'm... Yeah. I'm are, you pretty ta are you tapped out? Yeah, this gun at 2,500, you know, um, you know, at that range, there's not really... The bullet's going so slow, you don't really have any consistency, you gotcha. know? I mean, I could go out and I could start lobbing bullets at 2,800, maybe even 3,000 yards, and, you know, if I shot 10, 15 rounds, I could probably hit my target, but it's not really accuracy at that point. You're just... It's more like shooting artillery. You're just yeah. kind of, like, lobbing stuff out there, hoping that it hits. But, I mean, it, 
at 2,000 yards on the right day, you know, assuming you're shooting, you know, most of these competitions are like a 30-inch plate, right? I mean, you know, with this gun, and I haven't done this, obviously, um, but, I mean, you can go 5 for 5 at 2,000 yards. So I think I hit, you know, I had first-round hits in that competition at 1,700 and 1,900. Um, so, I mean, the fact that you can just dial to 1,900 yards and, and put around on target is, Shit, that's really know, good. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard to find a place to shoot that far. So you know, I don't, I don't do that stuff as much as I'd like. But it is fun when you get to do it, and it's, you know, everything is magnified at those ranges. So would you ever mess with the load development on this gun, or do you think you're just going to leave it the way it is? It's worked this good for you, and not necessarily want to change anything. Um, I actually do have to tweak it a little bit. Um, because I've been running it hard for the last couple of years, and the brass is getting a little worn. Okay. Um, so I got some donuts in the neck, which I think it's, I don't know, it's good quality brass. I think I just loaded it too hot for too many times, which is, <laughs> is fine, you know. Uh, so I got some new stuff on the way. I've just been waiting for it. Everything's backed up because of COVID. And so I'll kind of start over from scratch once I get that brass and, and try and see what I can do. Maybe try some different powders. And, because, like, when I shot it at that, you know, that shoot I won this spring, it wasn't shooting as good as it normally does. I mean, at 100 yards, it was shooting half inch, maybe a little bit more, where you used to be able to just, you know, stack them. You'd put five shots under a dime at 100. Yeah. Um, so, but, I mean, that's also proof that you don't have to be super accurate to to compete, right? I mean, does it really matter if it's shooting a half inch or a quarter inch? Not really, but it makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah. It gets you all warm so, and fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, do you think you, you got anything else you want to add to it today, man? I think that's it for now. Maybe, yeah. Maybe do another one of these at some point. I feel like we've talked a lot about the heavy, heavy competition stuff. I mean, we we'll probably dive in a little more on the hunting side of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, quick question, ending question. I've done this in the past, but I kind of forgot to do this in the most recent podcast, is what is your all-time dream hunt? Money, don't worry about any of the money. Just what would be your all-time dream hunt? Anywhere, any species, anything. Probably Mongolian elk. Mongolian elk? I didn't even know they had them there. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're they look almost like a woolly elk kind of. They're like a little lighter colored, and some of them are like a little shaggier and oh. just, just giant antlers. I mean, I think I assume it's probably similar genetics to the elk we have here. I think they're just pressured less because you know a lot of them are real remote. So I think Damn, I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, I think it'd just be cool. You know, elk hunting's pretty awesome, and uh, I think to hunt elk in sort of the same hills that like you know Genghis Khan was riding around. What, a thousand years ago? That'd be pretty badass. Yeah. So do do they have like the same antler growth style, or is it more like a stag? Or no, it's real similar. Okay, you'll, you'll have to look. Them I'm up. gonna have to look those up because that I I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, no, it's cool. I think I think that'd be fun. Okay, well shoot. Uh, thanks for listening, folks, and remember, don't be afraid to get western. Have a good one.